Welcome to this week's Armchair Trader podcast. And uh, today we have Vincent Algar, uh, the Managing Director of Australian Vanadium Limited. Today we'll be talking a little bit more about Vanadium. We have covered it on the site previously, but we want to go into a little bit more depth here and also speak to somebody who's actually active in the industry. Welcome to the show, Vincent. Hi, Stuart, and thanks for having us on Armchair Trader. So uh, just to, to start off, can you basically explain to someone who's a complete newcomer to this subject what vanadium is and, and why, why it's important? Right, vanadium is, um, is a metal that's been mined and processed for quite a long time and early on in its history was found to be very beneficial for the making of steel alloys. Um, that history goes back many hundreds of years, but if we go just to more recent time, modern steel making has benefited greatly by the addition of small amounts of vanadium um, in its makeup and strengthens that steel to the point where less steel is needed for the final outcome. And that, that alloying has been the primary use of vanadium for a very long time. It is a strategic metal on many countries' lists, so it's worth noting that in, in Europe, the US, the UK, um, and many other countries um, where they rely on the supply of vanadium from outside sources, it is regarded as a critical metal. Um, it is used in defence applications, also in strategic um, or in the use of steel in um, major you know, uh, major infrastructure works, um, in rebar steel, construction steel. So it's a very important metal. It's added in a very small quantity, but it's not mined in a lot of places as a primary supply. And a lot of that strategic nature is actually driven by the fact that China produces over 60% and uses over 60% of the world's vanadium. So uh, that's sort of vanadium's, vanadium's current history in short. We will expand on that as we go through. Okay, okay. So so is it, is it fair to say that China is a net importer of vanadium as well as being the world's biggest pr provider by a long margin? So I think over time that is a very variable story. I think, uh, Stuart, I think to say at any given time they're a net importer, they're actually not. They produce what they need. So in times of slow economic growth, they will import, and in times of, of them actually producing more vanadium than they need, they will export. Uh, and that is actually an issue, an issue of some contention around in the rest of world uh, vanadium markets, where, where vanadium is actually supplied into places like India, Japan, Korea from Chinese extra sources. Uh, but when China is on fire, if you like, on going going hell for leather and and, and building up its um, building its infrastructure at a pace, it does produce more steel and consume more vanadium than it actually can produce internally. So uh, we, we've, we were very close to that period pre-COVID. Um, the last time that happened was, uh, I think, 2000, uh, I stand corrected, around 2004. Uh, but we, we've, we're now entering a period where China, within the next three to four months, China will, might well be an importer of vanadium again. How is vanadium itself mined? Is it mined just like other other metals? Um, yeah, pretty much. I think you can. Vanadium is mostly mined in an open pit setting. In its old history, it was mined um, in California. It came out with um, some very interesting metals uh, associated with the gold boom. That's how people first found it. But it has also been mined and processed as a co-product from vanadium extraction, particularly vanadium. Some vanadium deposits do have um, associated vanadium. Sorry, some uranium deposits do have associated vanadium with them. But by far the primary source of vanadium um, in the world today is uh, titaniferous magnetites or titanomagnetites, how we call them. Uh, they normally have associated vanadium with them. They're layered intrus intrusive 
bodies, geological um, intrusions, and they're typified by the bushveld complex rocks as well, which we have in South Africa. But that's normally mined in an open pit setting. There are varying, varying grades of these deposits, and by and large, the lower grade Chinese deposits are used as an iron ore, and they extract the vanadium as a as a um, from the slag they use to make the iron ore. Uh, but out in the world at the moment, there's only three operating mines, primary vanadium mines. One is in Brazil, and two are in South Africa, and they mine titanomagnetites with a high grade of vanadium in them, around a percent. So that's sort of the threshold uh, for new deposits. Okay, and is there a lot of exploration going on for for new deposits at the moment? Uh, we saw when the price started to move up to, um, in in eighteen that uh, there was a lot more interest in in deposits, and and uh, when the price is very high, and obviously that moves exploration interest into a commodity, as we can now see with gold, for example, a lot more people get back into the commodity when the price goes up. But there was a, a, a spell of exploration interest, um, not necessarily new deposits, but more dusting off of older older deposits that might be used um, and, and, and put forward into scoping and feasibility studies. That seems to have waned uh, quite considerably now, and we only have uh, we only have limited interest in those in the actual space right now because the price is not overly attractive for for new exploration. Understood, and and. One of the main reasons for the excitement uh, at the moment is vanadium batteries. So what are vanadium batteries and why, why is there um, so much interest in them now? Obviously, the major use of, uh, of the market in, in vanadium is to produce vanadium for steel applications. So what, what happened when, we, uh, when the vanadium redox flow battery was invented in Sydney um, in the 80s was it started off uh, a cascade of events which leads us to where we are today, which is people have done a lot of research into redox flow batteries in general. And by far out of that research into the concept of a flow battery, which is a liquid electrolyte pumped across a, a cell, an electrochemical cell to generate electricity, where that reaction is so perfect in vanadium is that the vanadium chemistry is again magical like it is in steel. It's magical in, in the battery in that vanadium can exist in these four valence states in solution in a mild sulfuric acid very easily. And uh, the invention by Professor Maria skylas Kazakas in Sydney um, all those years ago has now led to there being probably well over 20 to 30, you know, vanadium redox flow battery companies out there in the world um, developing this technology to a, to a commercial and grid-connected level. And the fundamental usage of that is vanadium in solution. And why it's so interesting to us is that um, it offers an opportunity to take what is now currently 2% of the world market and grow that to a very large portion of the vanadium consumption market. And that obviously grows, if the steel market stays roughly constant and grows maybe by 2 or 3% a year, um, you can see with energy storage, particularly large-scale grid-connected energy storage associated with renewable energy, this creates a whole new vanadium for vanadium consumption, a whole new market for vanadium consumption. So vanadium, new vanadium producers like ourselves are very excited by this because of what, it, what the implications are for vanadium consumption, uh, let alone all the other benefits that that implies as well. I mean, these batteries, as I understand it, are, I mean, we're not talking about something that you stick in your iPhone. We're really talking about um, energy storage facilities on a much bigger scale 
potentially holding enough energy to power, say, a, a school or a hospital, or storing enough energy, I should say. Absolutely. And I think this is the real opportunity. <clears throat> We've seen lithium batteries move from our from our uh, phones through to our cars and our houses and, and, and being able to provide really good, good low-cost um, solutions to our storage. But we all know uh, the inherent failings of of those batteries and and of other lead acid batteries, for example, is that they they have this finite life um, and they do degrade over time. So if you look at just that factor, what is the step between a, a good lithium battery and pumped pumped hydro or compressed air? With something where we can store multi multi megawatts and even gigawatts hours of storage, uh, pumped hydro is the next step up from from very large lithium batteries. So. What sits in between is a is a grid level um, large vanadium flow battery, which is effectively just a large pump working continuously for very long periods of time, not degrading and using the chemistry of vanadium, uh, which is very efficient in providing a complete reversible reaction in solution and something that other pairs, uh, other metals don't necessarily do that simply. So vanadium emerges as being the ideal source for flow batteries. And also, in terms of scale and size, our ideal solution for true load, true um, load shifting or load movement from um, sunny days and windy days, and storing that energy so that we can use it at other times when the sun doesn't shine and the wind doesn't blow. So, if we if we to truly move to a carbon-free scenario for energy, we need to find that that happy medium for energy storage. Um, now that we've got so much deployed renewables out there, we need to find a way to store that energy uh, very more efficiently than we have. And uh, we, we, we all, in the flow battery world and in the vanadium world, we all believe that vanadium is that ideal solution. I've seen some debate about just how big a vanadium battery can be. I mean, some of the, one of the power companies in China has been experimenting with a very large one. Is that really, is that really getting away from the point? I mean, if you think about the future deployment of vanadium batteries it's more going to be a case of large numbers of batteries capable of powering large buildings or complexes rather than building massive power stations that use vanadium batteries that's obviously going to be uh, on a completely different scale so would you say that we're looking now at the rollout of this kind of technology will be just you know hundreds of these things basically in in most economies yeah, look, I, my my um, having been doing this for a while now and watching the likes of the, you refer specifically to the Ronki power battery in Japan, in China, which is a eight hundred megawatt hour, two hundred megawatt battery. That's a enough to power a, a aluminium refinery for a couple of hours, and that's yeah, that's pretty big and it's real base load stuff. And, but I think the reality of that is is more driven by the availability of high purity vanadium to get that project up and running. And I think you're dead right. I think that we've got we've got first we've got to roll things out. We've got to we've got to have one in every every backyard and one in every business. You know we have to have a lot more of them um, around, and, and we have to feel comfortable with them, like we do with our lithium batteries. And I think that's what the next challenge for the flow battery industry is, and the vanadium industry is to is to increase production, reduce production costs, find ways of getting the vanadium deployed, made and deployed in the right quality and quantity. Um, such that we can get many more products into the marketplace, starting with um, you know medium-sized businesses, and then working our, our way up through to 
to suburb-sized um, energy storage devices before we go to much bigger than that. And I think um, that's also just a reality um, of the way markets will deploy, um, and we've seen that with lithium. Um, but I think it's also a function of how we get the vanadium mm. in there. Um, the deploy time for a big 800 megawatt hour battery is uh, it's nearly one year of production. Uh, so from our from our new mine uh, plan, right? So we would actually take one year of production, and that's a lot of money for someone to cough up to actually take it off your hands. I, I've got to be assured that I don't have to sell one gram of vanadium to anybody else except that guy who's going to buy the vanadium for his battery, and then deliver him an entire year's worth of production to actually deploy. So it's it's sort of impractical at some level. Uh, that those very big batteries will be first off the rank. But what does happen after you do this for maybe four or five years and you build up the market and everyone's comfortable with the technology and it advances further, then, then yes, there'll be new mines dedicated to producing vanadium purely for flow batteries. Uh, and they'll probably be owned by power companies and, 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 and uh, companies that are taking advantage of this grid storage opportunity. And uh, those will be different companies than than either miners uh, or vanadium flow battery producers, to be honest. You raise an interesting question there. As you said, there's there's three mines at the moment that are that are producing very pure um, vanadium. Um, it strikes me that for this technology to be rolled out properly, the the actual production globally of vanadium is going to have to increase by a considerable margin. Do you do you think that there's the, the resources are out there from the perspective of of bringing new mines on online, or is there going to be a, a squeeze in the price? Um, so let's look at if you look at the existing producers of vanadium, they they're pretty much let's just say there is no battery um, industry and there's only um, high purity uh, chemicals and there is um, alloys, so, so master alloys, aluminium, uh, vanadium, titanium, aluminium alloys, and steel. Okay, let's just say that's the only market that's out there. So that market is at capacity, and it's sort of in balance. For and there's enough existing uh, increasing capacity from the existing producers to probably fill that for maybe another four to five years before a new mine would be needed in some or, or new production would be needed to to fill that. So you, but when you get past that, if you bring batteries into the picture, suddenly you are probably short, but you're not short immediately. You're probably short over time. But what we do see is that the quality production, so the, the quality uh, levels that are being set by the flow battery companies at the present time are a little high. And normally what you would do in the chemical industry is if you produced a premium product, you'd be paid, paid a premium price. Um, the flow battery companies, unfortunately, don't want to pay a premium price because they need so much. So they just really want, they want to get they want to get a p- premium product for a below market price. So what really has to happen is we have to work out ways of making vanadium more cheaply. And that is, um, that is a tougher question. There are a number of deposits out there where co-production of other metals is, is an option. Vanadium normally occurs with other things, either uranium in, in that case, or it can occur with uh, titanium and iron in, in the case of, of our deposit and, and the others being mined in the world now. But the challenge, I think, is to bring the cost of production down. And if you're a new producer and you can't bring your cost of production down to a suitable level, you won't be able to sell what these flow battery companies want to pay and all the customers want to pay. So really, for us, the squeeze will will only come into play if there's no ability to lower the cost of production from, from new players. So for, for AVL, 
um, our focus, therefore, in our in our studies and our bankable feasibility study, which is underway now, is about lo- making ourselves the lowest cost producer above all else. Um, what can we do? How can we bring that cost of production down so so that we can support this industry? Can you, uh, on that note, can you give us a little bit more background about what you're doing at um, Australian Vanadium, what it is, and and, and what your objectives are? Yeah, so the project's been in the company for quite a few years, and I've been there for probably five and a half years since uh, 2014, and uh, we've been developing the resource base to first make that very robust. So we're sitting with a resource of over 200 million tonnes at the moment at about 0.75%, and then we've got a high-grade portion, which is the focus of our, our economic studies, which is around 90 million tonnes. Now, we, given that we only get a mine about 1.6 million tonnes of that a year, uh, we've got a fairly long uh, pipeline of material. It's very consistent and it's very it's in the higher grade portion of of deposits. So it's it's able to produce a feed that's uh, what I call viable. So it's over one percent of vanadium into the concentrator. And at the moment, we're busy going through a, a bankable study, and we we're busy working our way through that. That's not straightforward in the COVID period as well, given that you have to rely on other people. Uh, we're doing some work in the US, for example, that's held us up a little bit. But uh, with Metso in particular, by the way, the, uh, the kiln manufacturer, we've also, but on the same time, we've used, we've used this opportunity to innovate. And as I mentioned, our innovation is totally focused on how we lay this project out to be the lowest cost project in the world when we bring it online. That also helps us with our economic argument. Um, Australia's, we're in central Western Australia. We have um, we have a very good situation with respect to miners. We're a very uh, tier one sort of mining destination. We have loads of, of gas, which um, the pricing of which is very attractive. Uh, you may know that the processing of vanadium ores does require um, uh, the ore to be roasted and uh, low cost natural gas is an absolute winner for, for low cost operation. Uh, that puts us in a very different position from everyone else in the world. And we've just got a great set of uh, opportunities that we can take advantage of here. So we, at the moment, we're working our way through that study. We're starting to engage uh, on the offtake side and on the banking side with um, with early early engagement side with those two. We're quite picky about our offtake partners at this stage. We, we're only looking at companies that have got very large balance sheets that are in the vanadium business already, um, whether they trade the ore or whether the, pro, the, the commodity or whether they actually are involved in producing it. Um, those are our preferred um, offtake partners. It's not natural, obviously. It's not, it's not a um, sort of straightforward business to, to, to sign an offtake agreement, especially early on. Um, but we are, we are being quite particular because we want to partner with people that can actually help us along at the end. Um, it's easy to get um, offtake agreements and MOUs um, anywhere. Um, but we're quite mindful of the current world scenario and we'll be focusing on both geographical and uh, industry spread in our offtake. So this year is all for us is all about finalising that. We're obviously very committed to the flow battery world by our subsidiary Vsun Energy, which is a um, which is a subsidiary uh, dedicated on market development in the Australian market for sales and delivery of vanadium redox flow batteries. Um, with the long-term objective of filling those flow batteries with Australian vanadium um, and vanadium electrolyte from from our own project. We think that's the best way to deliver the best value for vanadium electrolyte is to provide it locally in each country where it will be delivered. So we work very closely and we get along very well with uh, with 
Bushveld Energy in this and watching what they do in South Africa. We we on Vanatec, uh, on the Vanatec Energy Storage Committee together, and we watch closely what they do. And um, and in in their situation in, in Africa, we believe we can emulate very well here in Australia. So at the moment, that's our focus: is developing the project. Um, it's not an easy task. The price is not great mm-hmm. um, right now. Uh, the market is markets around the world in all metals are very uncertain, unless again you're in gold. But we are working our way through it, and we're very confident that we want to deliver a project that has strong economics at the end of the day, and can be one of those. Uh, long-term sources that the world will need for, for filling these markets up. I know you always, miners always get asked this, um, but uh, do you have a, what's, what's your time scale? I mean, obviously COVID allowing, um, what's your time scale for bringing this online in terms of production? So I think that because we're shifting, we're shifting to a, to a more bankable view. So in other words, that means getting auditing, getting on uh, auditing being done along the process, along the route here for ourselves. Um, as we go through the, the, the definitive study work, we're going to have someone looking over our shoulder. Uh, mostly to try and shortcut the um, the bankable uh, due diligence process, which we know is onerous, but we, we're keeping that in mind. That's a really important thing for us. But having said that, we, we're well down the road and we, we're trying to get a – our objective is to get a financial close um, position between around the middle of next year. That's really what we want to be. All things done and said, including our, including our approvals, um, having had bank, bank discussions, finished our studies, been been through an early audit process with an external party, and we think that if we can get financial close or very close to it by mid year next year, um, then we can move to um, lead time ordering in the second or third quarter of third or fourth quarter of next year, and be uh, on the ground doing um, groundwork in the beginning of 22, which would take us into production at the end of 22 or beginning of 23, depending on the uh, current situation but that's obviously all dependent on on funding um but we do believe the market's there and we do believe the project will be able to deliver so we've got to keep going with that we've got quite a committed team the team is um very uh, very experienced in vanadium uh daniel harris on our board uh, has had his entire career 40 years of his career in vanadium around the world having operated and worked on in multiple countries on multiple projects um, as an engineer, process engineer, and Todd Richardson, my COO, is a also a Vanadium veteran in his own career, having worked in Vanadium his entire career uh, at multiple locations. So we're quite committed. We've got good, good backup, good knowledge in the in the in the industry, and uh, we'll just keep chipping away as as much as we can in this uh, rather complicated world we live in right now. Yes, it is. It is that I'll certainly give you that. You mentioned just now you were talking a little bit about obviously like the the first flow battery was invented in Australia, and the, the you anticipate some actual um, market in the Australian battery space. Do you, do you think that once you do start producing, that there'll actually be quite a lot of demand for the product right there on your doorstep, rather than having to ship it out to far flung corners of the world? Yes, yes, and that's that's one of the primary reasons to develop mark develop demand here locally. Um, it makes everything so much easier. You can you can offer a lower price for the bat for the electrolyte because you don't have you don't have to incur that other margin that you've got for moving electrolyte around. You can produce a high a premium product here. Yeah, there'll be a certain um, sense in, in in doing that and a certain opportunity. Uh, there's a lot of value add that the local the local governments, both state and federal. Are very interested in the, the 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 local use 
and growing the battery market here. And obviously, when you can produce high purity vanadium, you can always export it um, outside around the world. And we don't want to move liquid around in, in the case of electrolyte. That's silly. So we want to make sure we can produce high purity product that we can use internally as well as externally. But the Australian market in terms of niches um, being a very sunny place, yeah, that's a true statement generally. It's also a very windy place since we all live on the coast and the wind blows more there than anywhere else. So all the population of Australia is clustered around the coast in sunny, windy places. We can really move our renewable tile uh, significantly uh, further than we already have. Uh, but if we, in order to, to reach that level, we do have to uh, embrace long-duration storage. And given that this particular energy application is a local homegrown thing, um, we think we've got a good market to push that along here, right here at home. So, so from the perspective of people who are obviously interested in vanadium and in the vanadium story and, and the vanadium battery story, is it fair to say that really the, the the best way to get exposure to this is is by keeping tabs on the the shares of the companies that are actually mining it, or are there any other other ways to to track the growth of the sector? Look, I think I think we've got to look at the, the, the producers, and luckily you've got you've got two listed producers in the world. You've also got uh, sort of cross exposure, if you like. But let's just let's just take the three. I think the three best things to get exposure to vanadium right now are going to be uh, Largo, Bushveld, both traded. Largo, Bushveld traded in the UK. Largo traded on TSX. Um, as listed entities, they've got direct uh, and singular exposure to this commodity. And then obviously on the flow battery side, you've got the listed entity um, at. Um, um, at Infinity Systems, which is uh, going gangbusters in, in the UK in terms of its market cap. So uh, there you're getting direct exposure to the flow battery itself and the industry and growth in that sector. So that gives you direct listing in, in, in your markets. On the world markets, you've got developers um, that are all exposed. I think uh, the companies like ourselves that are post, uh, post PFS, if you like, that are working through their studies, there'll be a longer burn, uh, but the value is there. A lot of us are very undervalued. So uplift is um, uplift is imminent, if you like, on that side where people can actually get uh, get set and, and make sure they can get some value. Because if you have a running price, and we saw this in 2018, we were a lot further down the track than we were, but we saw an incredible run in our price when the vanadium price started to move. So if that export situation becomes an import situation in China, for example, vanadium uh, will move. If vanadium moves, the, the best vanadium players will move with it. Uh, we count ourselves among those uh, because there'll be an a actual a definitive time horizon for them to get into production. So the existing players are great because they get direct exposure and the new players, uh, especially the ones that are closer to, to their end study work and funding, uh, are, the, are, the, are, the, are the ones that you'll get the leverage for, um, for, for a much larger rise in market cap from where they currently sit. So um, there's probably a bit to play with there. A little portfolio of Vanadium stocks would be great, um, especially because you could now get exposure to the entire value chain um, across the space. Thank you very much indeed, Vince. That's been that's been uh, really informative, and thanks for making the time to come on the show with us. No, no, it's a pleasure. It's great to great to be offered, um, and always good to have a chat to to people across the world, Stuart. And um, and know that things are getting better. We wish everybody well. It's comp we we live in a very uh, bubble here in Western Australia, we we haven't, we've been spared a lot from this uh, epidemic, or this pandemic, 
And uh, we all have friends and family around the world and um, in the UK and South Africa and other places where, you know, we, we see this, this, uh, this whole um, uh, madness playing out um, in people's lives in a devastating way and a disruptive way. So we do feel very privileged, but we also have a lot of uh, feeling for everybody else. Um, and we hope we can keep our end up, keep doing things well, and then uh, get ourselves together with everybody um, sooner than later. At some point, we would love to come over to Western Australia ourselves and have a closer look at what's going on there. That'd be great. There's plenty of people to talk to, as you know, and lots of people doing really exciting things across all sectors of the mining industry. We're a, we're a great place to spend some time. So you're most welcome at any time. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you very much for listening to the Armchair Trader podcast. And I do encourage you to also go to our website, which you can find at www.thearmchairtrader.com where there's plenty more content and news for the self-directed investor and trader. And uh, do subscribe to our channel for future updates from the world of stocks and shares and other financial markets.